Well, we are in Ruth chapter 3. I want to remind everybody one more time, we will not be here next week. Not on Wednesday, we will be here Tuesday. So next Tuesday, we'll be here as we close out the book of Ruth, and then we're going to 1 Samuel, keeping it super easy. On Wednesdays, ever since the church was founded, we go straight through the Bible. We started in the book of John a very long time ago, went through Acts, all the way through the New Testament, and now we'll be starting 1 Samuel Ne- uh, week after next, Lord willing, unless, as Zayden already prophesied, the trumpet sounds. We're in Ruth chapter 3. We left on a climax. We left as Naomi returned. Naomi, I did this. This is the second week in a row I'm doing this. Ruth returns to Naomi's house. Thank you. So Ruth returns to Naomi's house after working in the harvest, has all that extra barley wheat. They're there together. Um, Ruth and Boaz have had lunch together. They're eating together. They're having questions. They've been interviewing each other. We won't call it dating, not the way that we think about it. And then now we're going to pick up with that conversation and see what happens. But let's begin with the word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you would lead us through your scripture, lead us through this chapter. And as always, Lord, we would leave here with a better understanding of who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read verses 1 through 5 together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? No, Boaz, whose, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, And go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. I want to talk about that Goel one more time because that is what Naomi is telling Ruth. This is the family redeemer. Boaz is the guy. And I I want to come back to this in a minute, but I want us to review what the Goel is. The kinsman redeemer is supposed to buy out fellow Israelites from slavery. That's one of the things he's supposed to do. That's in Leviticus chapter 25. He's responsible to be the avenger of the blood. So if there's a murder or a manslaughter, he's got to take care of that. He's going to go chase that perpetrator down, and he's going to usher in vengeance. That's in Numbers chapter 35. The Kingsman Redeemer is also to buy back family land that has been lost. Remember, the land and the family heritage is the most important time in ancient Israel law. That's Leviticus chapter 25 as well. And then... Most importantly to the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer is to carry on the family name by marrying childless widows. Also Deuteronomy chapter 25. So we've got Deuteronomy 25, Leviticus 25, Numbers 35 for you note takers. All of them tell us what this kinsman redeemer is. Now the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, is a unique, but it doesn't mean it's only one. We're going to see here there's a line. And it is the closest relative, and then it goes farther and farther away. Now, Naomi is talking to Ruth and says, this is the guy. He is our family. He is kinsman. He is supposed 
to bring back our family name. And what does he, he say here? And I know that you've fallen in love with this really handsome person, and that's the most important thing. Whatever makes you happy, Ruth, that's what matters. That is not even in this book. That doesn't exist here. What does Naomi say? Shall I not seek security for you? Safety, assurance. Now, what, what does that mean, security? When you are establishing a family at that time, it is appointed. It is appointed between different families. They come together, they make a contract, and they are establishing a family. And that family is the only government entity outside of the priests and outside of what will be the kingdom, but that doesn't exist. So at this time, the only government entity is the priesthood and the family. So you're establishing your income, you're establishing your land rights, you're establishing your security, how many sons you have is going to dictate how strong you are in the community, the ability to fight and fight off other um, thieves, robbers, armies that are going to come in. It's going to establish relationships that are supposed to be unbreakable. Now, we know in the time of the judges, it's no different than it is now. They're having harlots. They're having concubines. They're having multiple wives. They're worshiping different idols. They, they're following anything that they want because every man is doing what's right in their own eyes. But ultimately, when you are marrying someone, you are establishing a family and your future is dictated in those decisions. And that is the number one priority here. How are we going to redeem the family name? How are we going to redeem the land? And how are we going to rebuild the family? We're going to do it by seeking after this kingsman redeemer. It just so happens that he's nice and he's rich, and that's really nice. I want to point out something else in this text, because remember, we romanticize this stuff in our 21st century brains. There is nothing in this book that says that Boaz is handsome. In fact, we're going to see some hints later. There is nothing here that says he's the unicorn prince, that he's the handsome, charming one, that somehow in this field they saw each other and love at first sight. That, if you think that stuff, you're adding it in on your own. That's not happening here. And so Naomi says to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well for you? And then she tells him and reminds him, this is the Goel, the close relative. And then she establishes a plan. They're winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. That doesn't mean anything to us. But they have brought in the entire harvest, all that manpower, all that labor, all that monetary investment, all that time. They've been protecting the crop. They've been praying for rain for the crop. They've been waiting for it to grow. They've been defending it from animals and thieves. And they finally harvested it all. And this is the riskiest time. They're going to separate the chaff from the wheat, the barley from the stock, and they're going to be bringing it all in. This is the harvest. This is when it's all going to be cashing in time. This is so important that the owner of this business, which is Boaz, I wanted to say Goel, that's his title, not his name, but his Boaz is going to be there personally. He's going to oversee the whole operation 
all the way into the night. He's going to sleep on the harvest. Why? This is his bank account. This is his bank. Imagine you're going to go to your bank and you're going to get every check that you got all year long and you're going to get it on one day. Oh, but you're not getting a check or a data transfer. They're going to count it out in $1 bills in the parking lot. Are you going to be there? You're going to be there with every armed guard you got because you know that once people see these dollar bills everywhere stacked up, which is your entire income, that people are going to try and steal it. In fact, when we get into 1 Samuel, one of the things we're going to see is that the Philistines and the enemies would raid the harvest time, this barley harvest time, because just like we said, there's just dollars everywhere. They're just going to come in and take it. All your hard work. And so he's there that night, and he's going to be working so hard, he's not even going to take his sandals off. He's not taking his shoes off. He's going to fall asleep there protecting his investment. And Naomi's smart and says, Ruth, you need to go at night. You need to go and you need to f- take this plan, and you need to approach him, and this is how you need to do it. And then Ruth does something that is more miraculous than anything else we could see in the Bible. What are you talking about? In verse 5, And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do it. I would like to hear a young woman just say this. Like you give her advice, you tell her what she needs to do, you give her, you know, like, hey, you know what? You need to work really hard and save your money. And then they do it. It'd be a miracle. Uh, You need to clean your room and organize your stuff without being told what to do and do all your homework and not talk back. And then they do it. That would be a supernatural miracle. Now, I don't know how much, how old Ruth is. We know she's been married. We know she's a marrying age. We know that she's lost her husband. But when Ruth tells her this plan, when Naomi tells Ruth this plan, she says, I'm going to do it. So let's see what happens now in verses 6 through 9. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and laid down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet and he said, who are you? So she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, we don't get what just happened here unless we talk about it a little bit. Because this is like the strangest thing we've ever heard. Ruth has literally walked up to him and humbly, submissively has asked him straight up, will you marry me? That is what has just happened here. Will you be my kinsman redeemer? Will you take me under your wing? Will you bring me the safety and security of making me your wife? Will you do this? Again, this is about stability, family, provision, safety, security. All these things, that's what she's asking. How is he going to respond to this? We're going to see that in a minute. But I want to point out something else, something that's a little more spiritual. Why do you insist on making Jesus chase after you? 
Why do you insist on making him find you? You go to him. You go to his cross. Put yourself at his feet and you say to him, will you talk with me? Will you share with me? Will you teach me? Will you guide me? No, 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 no. Especially the younger people. Because you go to school, you hear the sermons, you're dragged to church, you're being told it over and over again, and you just say to yourself, well, if you're really God, then just like show me who you are. I mean, I mean, you showed my parents, you show me. That's not how it works. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. This is your own journey. But we older folks, we do the same thing. You start throwing a hissy fit. You start, things aren't going your way. You get a little moody. Well, why don't you just reveal yourself to me? No, how about you just do what you're told? Submit under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will exalt you. That's what the Bible tells us. We should be seekers of God. We should be asking for him and yearning for him. And we need to humble ourselves, take off his sandals, and wipe his feet with our hair and our tears. We need to bring our costly perfume to him and anoint him. We need to come to him. It's unfortunate that we've turned this thing around, that we think it's supposed to be him chasing after us. Oh, he proves himself to us. Oh, he shows himself to us. And then once he's showed me how much he loves me, then I might give him some respect back. Well, let's turn that back from the spiritual back to the practical. I don't care if you are 15 or you are 55. All the romance movies that you've ever seen are a lie. It takes two to be in a relationship. They're not going to chase after you. They're not going to come with a white carriage. They're not going to come with roses. They're not going to come with chocolates and poetry. And they're not going to be constantly seeking you out. If you are an obnoxious jerk, they're going to stop. It takes two. It takes compromise. And it takes realism. We have to realize that these relationships are with two broken, sinful people. And it takes work and humility and grace. And that's what we see here. And so we need to brain dump all the garbage that the world's trying to put in your mind. And we need to take that biblical expectation, that real expectation, and then just our life experience. And we need to mix that up and say, oh, no, no, this is what is real. And this is what is fake. And we need to stop comparing it to the false narrative. That's not what families are about. Well, Ruth has just asked Boaz, will you take me under your wing? For you are my close relative. He has just asked him in the middle of the night on the longest day of the year for this man, will you marry me? Let's see what happens now. Let's read verses 10 through 15 and then we'll spend a little bit of time there. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, 
Then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Verse 15. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her that she went into the city. So here's our hint, guys. Boaz is not, most likely, he is not a young, handsome-looking guy. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, I thought that you would be asking me, you know, because I just happen to be rich and handsome. You know, I've been turning down a lot of other ladies, but you've been so virtuous and nice and beautiful, I'm going to pick you. No, he's a, he says, thank you for not picking younger men. How old is the guy? We don't know. Because he says that. He said, you have shown more kindness at the end, at the beginning, at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. So he said, the rich thing doesn't have anything to do with it, but he didn't go after people that were younger. Is he just being nice? It's possible. Remember, we don't want to add to Scripture what we don't know. But it definitely seems like Boaz could be a bald, older, hunchback guy. But what does he provide? Security, safety, the family, the redemption, the land. He brings all those things with him. Those things matter. Those things matter in the long term. Now, if you can have all the above ladies, congratulations. Get what you can get. But that's not always true. You have to make real life decisions. And don't let the most important decisions of your life be solely based on your feeling that afternoon. And guys, it's no different for you either. So what else does he say? He says, but there is somebody closer. It could be somebody else. And he's even uglier than I am. That's not what he says. I'm just reading into it. But there's rules. And they have to keep these laws and these rules. Now, we're going to see a lot more about this next chapter, and I don't want to spoil it too much. But when you are executing this decision of being a Goel or a Kingsman Redeemer, you have to do it in front of the city gates, in front of the elders of the tribe. And so you have to go in front of the most important people of the town where all the decisions are being made, judicial, financial, um, government, civil, they're all being made there. Trades being done with foreigners, it's all being taken place here. And you have to go in front and you need to tell them what you're doing. The issue is, is that if somebody asks you to be the Goel and you reject them, you are the lowest scum of the earth in society at that time. And in doing that, they're going to spit in your face and hit you with the shoe. Like They're going to give you the ultimate insult that you have not only turned your back on your family, your tribe, your country, and your people, and ultimately your God because you're going against the word. And so for this guy, this other person, to say that he's not going to be the Redeemer is going to take some finesse. Because how do you make a guy turn all that down and to have that in front of all the city gates? That's for next week. I'm going you know, to leave you a little bit there to come back on a Tuesday and not a Wednesday. 
But that's what's in front of him. So Boaz is smart, and he says, hey, this is a thing, and I'm going to have to do it. And if it happens, it happens. There's nothing I can do about it. But just go ahead and relax. Sleep for the rest. We'll try and sneak out later. Now, do you see the cunning that is happening here as, as well? Boaz is very sharp. You know, relationships are difficult. At any, any age, at any amount, at any time, relationships are difficult, and it takes some cunning sometimes. And it, it takes being smart. In this particular case, Boaz is like, I got this, but hey, by the way, I need you to leave at this time. Don't make a scene and don't let anyone know what we are doing. Don't let anyone know what we are doing. Now, as a father, saying this part about relationships is like super sketchy territory for me because I am going to be, this is the only time they're ever going to le- learn in sermons but in a lot of relationships i can't even look that way right now you have to go against opposition in order to keep that that relationship and you have to be smart i do not recommend if you're going to your girlfriend's house for the first time gentlemen and you see her dad that you say, oh, good to see my future father-in-law or something dumb like that. I don't recommend that. That's not being very smart. You have to be subtle. You have to be intelligent. Boaz is super smart. He doesn't want anyone else to know. I want to be more realistic when it comes to relationship. There is always competition all the time. There is competition all the time. Boaz knows this. He wants a leg up. Hey, listen, Ruth, if you want to stay with me, you're going to have to keep this quiet. You can't come down this mountain and say that, yeah, Boaz is going to handle it, Boaz is going to handle it, Boaz is going to handle it. Because if the other kinsman redeemer gets it, he's in it for himself maybe. Maybe he's going to be, pay, you know, he wants the land and he doesn't care about you. Maybe he realizes there's a financial opportunity here and he doesn't care about you. And now you're stuck and you're married forever. So be, let's be quiet about this. And then... Like any dumb man, Boaz says, yeah, go ahead and relax. Go ahead and go to sleep. She's not going to sleep. I can read into the text here. Life decisions are being made for her, and she's supposed to simply just lay at his feet and go to sleep. She is not sleeping a wink. And she's up. She's thinking about these things. She may be closing her eyes. And then she finally, it's about that hour. And the scripture says that. If we go back to the text here, close relative, stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. And then what does it say? Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning. Yeah, she's laying there. She ain't sleeping. And she arose before one could recognize another. So she sneaks off. Then he said, do not lie. Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Keep it a secret. And then he gives her some money to go. In this case, it's the barley harvest. Gives her the equivalent, by the way, of 30 gallons of barley. So a lot of text, uh, textual critics will say this is actually a typo because you can't carry 30 gallons in her shawl. Whenever I get to a situation like that, I'm going to trust the Bible over the criticism. So how she carried that away, 
I have no idea, but apparently she did. All right. Now what happens, verses 16 to 18. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephaps of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. That's it. That's it. She's sitting there. She's sitting there with her mother-in-law. She's telling her, yes, it worked. Yes, I asked him. This is what he said. This is what happened. This is what he gave me. Here we are. And, and now what? They've got to sit there. It is out of their hands. Another gr- important ingredient to relationships is just being patient. Just waiting. Sometimes it's the other person's time to do something. Sometimes it's your time to do something. Sometimes it is good to just sit back with your family and talk about it and relax. We're always in such a hurry. In pastoral counseling, especially if I'm talking to older ladies or older men, all they're thinking about is this clock just clicking away, second after second. The whole world's going to end. Just relax. Just relax. Because we always think that somebody else has it better than us. And you know, it's funny. I'll be counseling with someone. They'll be talking about their need to find a godly man or woman, their need to be in a relationship. And then a couple hours later, I'll be in another conversation where they want to get out of a godly relationship. They want to have a divorce. They want to get away from that person. And it's just ironic that our mind just wanders and drips. Just be where you are. Just wait. And so it doesn't matter if you're younger or older here. Sometimes it's time to just wait. The Bible tells us that we're to sit still with the Lord, to be still and know that He is God. It is what it is. And no amount of worrying or strategizing, or talking, or manipulating, or anxiety, or fears, or fantasizing, or thinking good positive thoughts is going to change the reality of the world. It is out of their hands. The answer could be yes, it could be no. And I want us to think about that for a minute. I don't want us to just pass on that. Because how they spend their evening is not written here. They could have gone to bed, slept all day, just relaxed. They could have been texting each other, which is pretty difficult without iPhones, you know, 2,000 years ago. And they could have just been nervous and just talking to every single person and reaching out to them. They could have been scared. They could have been happy. They could have been apprehensive. They could have been making tea. It does not matter. And all that energy that you and I waste on a daily basis imagining all this stuff, it's done. It's done. The next page is already written in God's eyes. He already knows Ruth chapter 4. He already knows what's going to happen. They don't know if it's yes or no. But listen, God knows your next chapter. He knows your next problem. He knows your next victory. He knows your next failure. He knows your next heartache. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So to use that California vernacular, Just chill. Chill out. You're not making anything better. He is in control. So sit still. That's some great advice. 
they're going to wait now. And next week on Tuesday, not Wednesday, we're going to look at chapter 4. Let's read verse 18, though, because I forgot that one. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. I think that's a great place to stop. Let's pray. And we'll close this evening in prayer. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we sit still this evening, you would be leading us in prayer. Because we know that you will not rest until you have concluded the work, Lord. And so we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.